It's always soccer in Philadelphia on a rainy and dreary Thursday in the Delaware Valley. And uh, I got to be honest with you, I don't really have a clever introduction this time around. I don't have any kind of quips to throw at you. I don't have anything really funny to say. I just want to get right into it. I want to talk about the Philadelphia Union with a special guest, a frequent guest of the program, somebody that I would refer to as a friend of the program, somebody who has appeared on the program many times, and we always love having him. It's Matt George from the Delco Times. What's up, man? Not much. Some, some people would call me the specialist guest. I don't know if that's a compliment or now that I hear it back, maybe they were insulting me. But either way, yes, very happy to be here. Yeah, well, maybe we'll do a Twitter poll and we'll ask people to weigh in on that and they can tell us how they feel. Uh, but for now, we have to get to more pressing matters. And uh, honestly, man, there's just a lot of good stuff to talk about this week. So let's not beat around the bush. Let's get right down to it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Philadelphia Union vying for second place in the Eastern Conference this weekend. It's uh, it's 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 uh, exciting days down in Chester. This uh, this ain't your grandmother's Philadelphia Union, which I think might end up being the podcast title. Um, but before we kind of look ahead to uh, <clears throat> to this final weekend, to decision day, um, let's just put a bow on Columbus. I mean, now when you look back at it, um, what wh- what do you take away from that game? Not not great, not not a great not a great performance, and obviously it looks even uh, worse with Alejandro Bedoya getting hurt in that game, but. Um, I think you kind of have to temper it a little bit because of the San Jose result being so good. I know Jim Curtin someone who always talks about when you get an unexpected result that if you don't compound it the next day or the next game that it, it kind of loses a little bit of its meaning. But you really look at this team and think if they could win one of those two road games, then they'd be in good shape. And they ended up winning one of them. They, I think they chose the more difficult one to win. Um, so they're really not in a bad place. They are uh, on this, you know, the end of the season, that the last seven games of the season were going to be really difficult. There's three home games, then the three game road switch swing that they just finished, and then NYC in the finale. Uh, and so far, they're 3-2-1 and one in that stretch, and they, can, and, and they have NYC left at home. So that's really not bad, especially considering that, you know, at least five of those teams are going to be playoff teams plus Columbus and then San Jose is right on the fringe of being a playoff team. That's not a bad run through it. No, it's not. Um, you know, it's interesting to me because I think in years past, and like it seemed like a lot of people were upset and annoyed on Twitter, and I don't, I don't blame them, you know, because you had an opportunity for first place and you let first place slip away. But, you know, I take a step back and I think about where this team was last year, last year being like previously their best season of all time. Uh, and, and you think about going into the final day, that they were playing for, you know, third through sixth place seating or something like that. And when you think about what's at stake for this game, even after the disappointment of Columbus, you're talking about possible second place, the possibility of hosting two two home playoff games. You're talking about uh, Champions League, which is ridiculous, the fact that we're even talking about the Philadelphia Union and the Champions League at all on this this program. Uh, You're you're talking about 58 points. You're you're talking about – you know, extending the the single season records for points and total wins. I mean, like I just keep coming at it from from glass half full, which I think is weird because you know I think you and people would say that you and I are probably probably more of like the two cynical Philadelphia Union guys, you know. But I just can't. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I just kind of have this like weird, bizarre, positive outlook on the whole thing. 
Yeah, and, and I totally understand why Union fans could look at that Columbus result and say, here we go again, with New York coming up next and, and you know, the way last season ended and, and losing those last two games and then the quick exit in the playoffs. It's totally natural to understand where that comes from. But at the same time, if you take that step back and you really look at what the Union have accomplished this year, this is a Union team that is way more accomplished than any Union team in history. Absolutely. I mean, any any metric that you want to use, whether it's, um, you know, you see the records of points and, and wins, but also just the simple metrics of the eye test, how much more skilled this team is. You know, the fact that in this calendar year, now with Brendan Aronson, three Union players have been called into the U.S. national team camps. Whether or not they end up getting caps is a whole other thing. But, like, I mean, you have young, talented players. You have mid-career talented players. You have well tried I mean, this is by far the best team that the Union have ever had. And, you know, they have this opportunity now. And I, I think that I think that losing out on first place is a little bit overblown because I don't think first place is really a uh, all that attainable. I, I know Jim Curtin yeah. talked a lot about it as saying, like, well, we still have first, we're, st- we're still riding for first place, but I think that was a little unrealistic based on what they needed to have happen. Yeah, yeah. But at the, but at the same time, I mean, they could, um, you know, they go into this weekend and, um, you know, for better or for worse, they've had good performances against NYC at places that are not Yankee Stadium. They, uh, I believe it was last year they beat them at, uh, yeah. one of those games last year they beat them at, at, at Talon. Um, so they have a chance to get a result and get to 58 points. You have a situation in Atlanta where New England's going down there, and New England knows that they could either win this game and not have to go back to Atlanta, or have to go back to Atlanta in two weeks in a win-or-go-home game. So they're going to be highly motivated to get something out of that game to try and, you know, to try and get to Philly and to at least not have to deal with Atlanta. Um, and it's a diminished Atlanta team without Joseph Martinez. So there's a lot to still play for. There's a lot of pieces that are out there and a lot of a lot of moving pieces that could work in the union's favor. And I, I think if you step back and say there have been some good things that have happened this year. Now, at the same time, if they don't win a playoff game, some of that kind of goes for naught. Yeah. But yeah. I don't think there's really a, you know, we're still, whatever it is, 15 days away from necessarily needing to panic uh, for that. Well, I mean, there's there's still so much out there. Yeah, and I think it's interesting, and this is a discussion that I I think we've had on this podcast before, but uh, I'm always kind of fascinated philosophically with how people look at uh, identifying a season kind of in a macro level vacuum versus uh, moving the goalposts as it progresses. You know, like for example, you know, if you took a step back and you said. Well, the Philadelphia Union are going to put up at least fifty-five points, and they're going to have a home playoff game. If I like, if I told you that in in February, right? And all of us would have said, "Oh, wow, that's amazing!" Yeah, well, absolutely, sign me up for that. You know, so that's one philosophical way to look at it. The other is to say, "Oh, well, they're a lot better than we thought." So now we're going to slide. We're going to put it on a sliding scale. We're going to adjust our expectations, and we're going to be really disappointed when they get blasted for nothing in Montreal or for nothing in uh, Salt Lake City or they lose to Chicago on the road. Like philosophically, do you subscribe uh, to one of those more than the other? Like, hey, if when you when you look at it in a macro sense, it's a great season no matter what. Or do you say, look, uh, they're better than we thought. We adjusted and we, we put, it on, put it on like a sliding scale of evaluation. I mean, I think it has to be a little bit of a balance with the union. I think 
based on what they've built here, there is a certain um, there is a certain point at which you have to say, well, what is the point of all this? Like, what the point is to win playoff games. The point is ultimately to win trophies, I think. But the point is to win playoff games. And if you build all this and you don't win a playoff game, then I'm fine with kind of. I don't think that's moving the goalposts. I think that's where the goalposts always were. Yeah, um, yeah. But at the same time, you do also have to look at, you know, the, the Union clinched with, with almost a month left in the season. It's insane. Like, that is not an expectation that anybody reasonably set at the beginning of the season. Right, right. Um, 55 points, 17 wins. I mean, those are all, or 16 wins that they're at now, can get to 17. I mean, those are all... I think lofty expectations if you're to step back and look at it. Um, but it, you do require that kind of perspective on things sometimes. And, um, I would hope that people aren't overly disappointed that you're lost in Columbus when yeah. you consider, okay, yeah, you're lost in Columbus, but look at what happened against LAFC. Look at what happened, uh, you know, against Atlanta. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's having to keep two things in your mind at one time and having to say, that, you know, Columbus isn't the be-all and end-all of what this Union team is, just like, um, you know, the Portland game in, in May wasn't the end-all and be-all. Like, there, yeah. it exists somewhere in between the extreme of the team that beat Atlanta and the team that lost to, um, you know, the team that got drubbed by Montreal. And mm. where on that, on that spectrum they fall is kind of where this season is. So um, you were down there for the press conference a short time ago, about probably an hour uh, ago from when we're recording now. What uh, any takeaways from what from what Jim had to say? Uh, I think they dodged an injury bullet with Alejandro Bedoya. Um, I think if all goes reasonably well, he'll be back for the playoff game. Uh, I don't think he'll be playing this weekend. He's not training yet, and I don't think there's any need to rush him back. Um, and, and you also have to consider that they did beat Atlanta that day without. Uh, Bedoya. Yeah, um, yeah. He was suspended for that game. So they have proven an ability to play at a decent level without him, you know, that second half against Columbus notwithstanding. Um, so I think that's a plus. I think the union, I know Jim Curtin has talked for years about not having fear against any teams, but really when you look at the numbers, there's no reason for them to come in and have any fear against uh, New York City. I, New York City's a, a very good team. Is maybe playing the best soccer in MLS right now. But at the same time, they're fallible on the road, just like any team is. And the union have been very good at home. And I think that's, um, I think, you know, it, it's a game that they can win this weekend. I think one of my biggest takeaways just in considering this game, and uh, Jim Curtin hit on this a little bit later in his press conference, mm. but this is a little bit of of a big moment for Marco Fabian. I mean, this is kind of put up or shut up time a little bit this season. Um, I think he's going to get the start. I think that with Bedoya out, you're going to slide uh, Montero further back. You're going to have Aronson out there, who's been excellent. And that number 10 spot is going to be, in all likelihood, Fabian. And he's going to need to create chances. He hasn't done a lot of that this year. He's yeah. not a great connector. Um, but what he's going to have to do, I, I think part of the the way to break down this NYC team, especially on a big field, is you're going to have to have your number 10 occupy Alexander Ring as their number 6. Yeah. I think one of the better holding midfielders in MLS. He has to be constantly on his shoulder, occupying the space between the center backs and him, and forcing those the, the three central defenders, assuming they play their 3-5-2, to, 
uh, the three central defenders in ring to make decisions as to who's going to pick up Fabian, who's going to pick up Ronners, who's going to pick up Casper Shabilko. And I think Fabian has a huge responsibility in this game. And to be honest, these are the kinds of games that you got Fabian for. These are the, yeah, they are. you know, yeah. when, you, when you go out and get a guy who's played in World Cups, who's played in the Olympics, who's played in Champions League, who's played in high-pressure Liga MX games, this is, this is the closest facsimile that they have to this. So it, it's time for him to go out and, and perform like the star that they thought they were bringing in. Well, it's interesting to me, um, I guess kind of a two-part question here. Number one, in a general sense, uh, where are you right now with the four-two-three-one versus the four-four-two? And part two is kind of just me rambling, but you know, you were standing there in the same scrum that I was back in 2016 or 2017 when Ernie like sat there straight up and told us, these guys can't learn another formation. They already have a hard enough time learning the one that we're trying to teach them. You know, and yet I sit here and I look at the Union go from four two three one at Red Bull, four four two at San Jose, and back to four two three one in the Columbus game, and that naturally kind of solves the squad rotation issue that's kind of plagued this team over over the years because Aronson and Pico come in. You have guys that are better for one shape versus the other shape, so it makes natural breaking points where this guy's going to sit and get a rest, and then we're going to rotate the squad back to this. You know, um, so the question with that part is doesn't that all seem so naive what we were told a couple years ago yes it does i mean i I think that um as i look back now on that conversation i think (laughs) i I, the nicest way to say that about Ernie stewart is i think that that conversation was a coded cover for (laughs) we don't have good enough players yeah 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 yeah. Um, and that's what it was i think in retrospect and obviously um, I don't think it at that time behooved Ernie or Jim or anybody to come out and say that, whether or not it was true or not. Um, but I think they have they have better players now and they're more adaptable. Um, I was just thinking about that, the formational issue, and you know whether it's four four two, whether it's four two three one. And Jim has said a lot that it comes down to personnel. Um, and the more I think about that, the more I agree with him. Um, the bottom line is that if you're going to play Elfino, it's in a 4 2 3 one. Mm-hmm. He doesn't have a position in a 4 4 2. Right. I right. think Papa Pico, who hasn't scored a lot this year, but I think has been really good the last few weeks and is a really important kind of weapon in shorter stints to tire out defenses and to stretch them, I think he's better in a 4 2 3 one than True. as a second forward. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think with my, I, I think Aronson's. I think Aronson's probably a little bit better in a four-two-three-one at this point, but you don't lose much when he goes to four-four-two. Same for Bedoya, same for Montero. Um, I don't think Fabian's positional struggles are have anything to do with formation. Um, I think he would struggle to find the right pocket space in either one of those. Yeah. Uh, and I think right now what it comes down to is that the guys that are in form, Pico, Aronson, Elfino, are more comfortable in the four-two-three-one. And some of the guys that are either injured or out of form, which is Andrew Wooten, uh, Sergio Santos, those are guys, and Corey Burke would have been more uh, adaptable to the four four two, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. Those guys are better in the diamond formation. So I, I think what's important, and Jim has talked a lot about this this year, and it's sometimes semantics, but the pressing dynamics and you know the intensity and... Jamiro Montero just absolutely getting after somebody and 
Brendan Aronson being a pain in the defending right back's ass, that's going to happen whether, regardless of the formation. And that's the more important thing. Um, so I think it does really come down more to personnel and more to a little bit, you know, a little bit of tactical stuff. He talked about against, uh, I forget which game it was, maybe Atlanta wanting to have the 4-2-3-1 so that you press more with a front four as opposed to a 4-4-2 where you're pressing with just three and it's a little bit more compact. Um, so I think that, that plays a little bit into it. But I think at this point it's mostly personnel and it's mostly a, a little bit of just kind of psychological comfort of what guys feel better at. So let's go through some of these scenarios here. Um, obviously we know Philly and, and NYC what's at stake. Um, Atlanta and New England, like you said, is interesting because – you know, Atlanta's playing for second place. New England is playing to not have to go down there again. So, I mean, that one's probably the most interesting to me. Um, Cincinnati, DC has to play, gets to play Cincinnati at home. Uh, Red Bull goes to you Montreal. Pronounce, you pronounce bye week wrong. Bye week, yeah. Um, actually, that's, that's actually not true. I, that's actually me. Cincinnati has actually cost teams playoff berths. I mean, uh, Orlando and Montreal have been able to get results against them. So yeah. Cincinnati has impacted the playoff race. So D.C., Cincinnati, Red Bull, Montreal, Toronto, Columbus. You know, those three are weird because, uh, you know, three teams in the playoffs kind of jockeying for seeding versus three teams not in the playoffs. I mean, you never really know if those teams are going to show up and, and roll over and die or if they're going to pl- embrace the quote-unquote spoiler role, right? So, um, But I'm more interested in, in two things. Number one, you – just touch on on what you think of Atlanta and New England again. And number two, if you're New York, um, you know what are you doing in Philly? I mean, are you resting some guys? Are you playing your full team? I mean, it's weird for them because if they if they rest a bunch of guys, uh, you know, they will have gone from like su- September 29th to like October 20 whatever something without playing a game. Yeah, I don't expect them to rest anybody. Um, I expect them to go for it as much as they can even if they're just going to keep guys fresh. I mean, that, that's a long layoff for them, the international break. And then the bye, you're looking at almost three weeks of, I guess it's three weeks of, of off time pretty much. And the so way just keep the momentum. The stretch, they've had a lot of midweek games. So they've probably played, um, yeah. you know, they probably played 10 games since uh, August 1st. And now you're going to go maybe even more, 10, 12 games since August 1st, and then you're going to go three weeks without a game. That's going to be tough. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think D.C. and Red Bulls are definitely both motivated to get results because that fourth spot is still up in the air. Uh, and you definitely are going to want um, – you're definitely going to want that, uh, that home game. Um, New England has its motivation not to have to go back to Atlanta, and I don't think – even if Joseph Martinez isn't healthy, nobody wants to go to Atlanta right now. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, Toronto, I think, is just trying to con- continue some momentum. They, uh, I think they could still get a home game if things break right. If they win, they end up on 50 points, and then they would need D.C. to to lose and New York to lose, and then there would be, I don't know, the tiebreaker scenarios. Because hmm. um, luckily I don't have to know those scenarios. Yeah, um, right, right. I, I think if you're the union, the best case scenario would be for you to jump up to second, obviously. Um, Atlanta at home versus Atlanta at Mercedes-Benz are very different teams. Um, yeah, yeah. I just have a feeling I, I just have a feeling that the union come out and win. They play well at home. 
But I have a feeling that Atlanta comes out and wins at home too. And then they both finish on 58 and Atlanta gets the tiebreaker. That's just what my gut's telling me. Yeah, Atlanta has the tiebreaker because of wins. Um, I, I think I think almost the more pressing thing is not even so much. Um, well, the, the home game is pressing. I, I think you don't necessarily want to play Toronto. I think if you had your choice between Toronto and, uh, and New England, you would go with Toronto. Um, I know the Union haven't. The Union lost to them early in the season, then went up in Toronto and won. That's a very different team. Uh, that was before Omar Gonzalez came in, and I don't think Josie really played a big role in either game. Yeah. Um, because he was still coming back from injuries. But, you know, if you look at what wins playoff games, I would think that a spine that includes uh, Omar Gonzalez and uh, Michael Bradley and Posuelo and Josie Altidore, um, that's, that's a pretty good thing to build around. So yeah. I, I don't think this Toronto team is the Toronto team of two years ago by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I would rather have New England. I would rather have New England and Bruce Arena and um, their kind of newness to the postseason than Toronto, for sure. Um, all right, I got two more questions for you, and then a game if you're interested in playing it. Um, number six on the list here, um, Brendan Aronson getting the call up. I mean, like, I get it that it's just they want to give him a taste. They want to get him in a camp. They want to put him in, in that kind of setting, see what he has, and blah, blah, blah. I just don't think he's even close to being ready for that. I mean, does that make me an asshole to say that? Oh, I think he comes in against Canada and scores three goals, and they win 7-2. Oh, God, yeah, and then I get to deleting deleting tweets, is, you know. Is, is, that, is, that too, is that too high of expectations? I just, him? like, I don't, no, I, 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 I just think I they're, like. Think he's, he, he, I, I was surprised by the call-up as well. Yeah, I just. I, I, I don't Absolutely. Know. Yeah. Um, all right. Fine. But, at the, but at the same time, the one thing I will say about Brendan Aronson, if yeah. we know anything about what he's done, is that he's very good at going into new situations and very quickly leveling up. He yeah. did that yeah. last year with Steele, then they signed him. He did that in the preseason to earn the start, and he very much earned the start in that first game, and he's done it from becoming a regular to now a guy who's getting attention across the league. So. He's very good at leveling up, and, and, you know, let's be realistic. There's 26 guys in camp. Is he going to make either the 23-man game day rosters? Probably not. Um, yeah. Is he going to get a cap? Most likely not. But you never know, and he's the kind of kid who I think is going to come back better from that experience. I just, yeah, I mean, I can't shake the feeling that it's like another Keegan Rosenberry situation where he goes into camp and then comes back and has the Philadelphia Union sophomore slump. But I don't know. I think that's just negative history weighing down on me. Speaking of um, expectations and whatnot, um, the Pulisic thing. So, like, I'm of the mindset that he should just pull the plug and get the hell out of there already. I, you know, I understand. It's like you got to come to a new place. You got to fight for your spot and blah, blah, blah. But you got like, these, like, British pundits who were like treating him like he's never played a game before. Like he came straight from Lancaster to Chelsea or something like that. When the dude's played a hundred plus games for, you know, Dortmund, uh, national United States national team, DFB, Pokal champions league. I mean, I, I just, I, I don't have anything to prove it, but I, I believe that there's always been an anti-American bias over there. And if Mason Mount is going to be in the 11, like every fucking time and Christian Pulisic can't even sniff the, the 18, then like, I would just take a loan move back to Germany and say, Hey, thanks. It was a good experience. We'll see you never. I think from time to time, there's more of an anti sense bias at Chelsea. Uh, if you look at some of the things that they've done over the last five or so years, um, 
if I was Pulisic, I would kind of bide my time a little bit. I, I think that, um, you know, if, if things haven't cleared up by the January window, then maybe consider it. Um, but for now, it, it's only been a couple months. I think he's going to get some opportunities. You know, you're going to get to the, the holiday fixtures and there's going to be that jammed up window around Christmas and Boxing Day and all that kind of stuff. And I think he's the kind of player that he's going to get opportunities to prove himself. And yeah, he's that's going, true. He, he, he is a quiet kid in the way that he plays, but I think that, or in the way that he carries himself, but I think he has that on-field on tenacity of uh, if he's going to get a shot, he's going to try and prove himself and try and prove people wrong. Yeah, um, yeah. And I, I, you know, it could yet work. There have been ten years at Chelsea that have started poorly and ended well, um, and there's certainly been a lot more of the flip side, probably. But I think there's still the possibility that you know that move could turn out okay for him. Well, yeah. I mean, the the good point is that they, you know, Chelsea is playing in like however many competitions, so they have a clogged uh, fixture list, as those wankers would say over there. Um, okay, that's all and, I got. And, I mean, the, the positive side is that Pulisic is still yeah. Pulisic. You know, he still has the skills yeah. and the ability to impact um, to impact the team. And there's been so many guys that have gone to ill-fated, uh, you know, made ill-fated moves to uh, Chelsea. That you know who else never played at Chelsea? Um, Kevin, Kevin De Bruyne. Yeah, De Bruyne, um, Romelu Lukaku was another turned one. Out, <laughs> turned out okay. Matt, Daniel Sturridge. No, wait, that's not a good example. Matt Miazga, um, yeah. Um, I mean, they just don't have a great history of, of, of youth, anything at all. Not just like, you know, American or CONCACAF kids. It's like Chelsea is, is the place where you go and then they loan out 40 people at one time to the Dutch league. And then you never actually put on a Chelsea show. That's, that's why I hated the Pulisic move in the first place. Cause I was just like, well, the, the track record is just not there. You know? I mean, who's, who's the French kid that they got, that they got zinged by FIFA for recruiting violations on the kid and they got... Uh, one-year ban, and he never even played for them. Oh, God, I like, know. Well, that's why they're in that situation. Ago. Yeah, and then they tried to spin the ban situation by saying, well, it's a youth movement, you know? And now we got, yeah. like, Mason Mount and uh, Hudson Odoi and, like, all these other dudes, and then Pulisic's like, what, what is he, chopped liver? You know, it's like, that's why none of it ever made any sense to me. Um, all right, are you, are you familiar with uh, the words that end in letter A game? I, I am not. Oh, you're not really? Okay, well, um, I'll tell you about it, and you can decide if you want to play it or not. Um, so you know how when you're watching, like, the Premier League or, like, there's a British announcer or whatever, and when they have a word that ends in the letter A, they pronounce it like an E-R, like um, like Paul Pogber. Okay. And they Or, like, the country of Goner. You know, they I, always have, that was a, I always thought that was a New York thing, but okay. It is a New York thing, too. But what we started doing, uh, we, we rolled out this new segment where I'm going to give you five clues, and you have to tell me what the word is, and the word ends in the letter A, but you have to pronounce it like you're British. Okay. You want to you wanna try the game? Sure, let's do it. Okay. Um, we're just having fun here, you know. It's just, it's uh, This is a way to wrap up the interview and have some fun, all right? Um. So this is a team uh, that plays in Spain, and Lionel Messi plays for them. Is that Barcelona? That would be Barcelona. Yep. Do I have to say it with the little RC, the, the, the list of Barcelona? You have to, no, you don't have to say it like that. You just have to do the ER at the end of it, like you're uh, British or you're from Long Island. Okay. Bar I'm from, 
I'm from closer to Long Island than I'd like to admit in mixed company. Oh, uh, well, there you go. So this might be good for you. Um, all right, here's the second one. Uh, this is an Italian soccer team. Daniele De Rossi played there. Is that Romer? Romer. A.S. Romer. Um, this is a college in your neck of the woods. It's where Dante DiVincenzo played. I don't want that to be my neck of the woods, but it's, it would be Villanova. Villanova, yes. Well, I mean, it's not... Well, it's Delco. Or is it? Is it not Delco? I can't remember. It's, it's Delco. It's on that side of the line. Okay, so like, isn't like part of it not in Delco, though, technically? It might be, but it's technically Radnor Township. Radnor Township, okay. Um, this guy played for the Lakers and uh, the Rockets, and he was a good three-point shooter and defender. The Lakers and the Rockets? Yeah, he was traded to the Wizards this year. Oh, that's not helping. That would be Trevor Ariser. Would be uh, the winner. I was stuck on Robert Ori. <laughs> I should have, I should have given you like a time, a time frame, you know, and then that would have narrowed it down. All right, this I is. I still wouldn't have gotten the Trevor Reason. <laughs> okay, this is the last one. Um, <clears throat> Windows. Uh, this is a version of Windows that came out, I think, like maybe 15 years ago. Not Windows 2000 or XP, but it was Windows this. Windows Vista. Vista. That's right. Ding, 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 ding. All right. Well, that was a good job, Matt. That wasn't the most. Um, smooth uh exercise of that game but i appreciate appreciate you for uh being a good sport and playing it anyway hey four out of five i'm counting that as a win that's right it was a win it was a win well it's well, not that's about going, that's going on the linkedin page that's right well it's less about getting them right and more about just the goofy the goofy british accent i don't know we just started doing it accidentally one time and then russ and i started like <clears throat> laughing hysterically and uh it became a a, a, a bit as they say you know so Matt George from the Delco Times. Follow him on, on Twitter. It's at SportsDoctorMD. Philadelphia Union versus New York City. Man, what an exciting uh, wrap-up this weekend. Matt, thanks for jumping on, man. We always appreciate it. You are a friend of the program. Anytime. Thanks, Kevin. All right. Let's get to your questions and your comments and your concerns. Uh, but first, I just have a couple little notes that I wrote down here stemming from the last couple of games. First of all, the uh, let's go back to San Jose, Aurelian Collin, the VAR, the no call there. You know, I thought it was iffy. Honestly, I did think it was iffy because, you know, I think you could say in that situation, and and of course we're talking about when he's kind of shielding the guy and the ball's rolling out of bounds, but he falls down and slips, and so he kind of lunges and puts his arm out there. You know, it's a weird play for me because. You don't have to make a play on the ball necessarily if you are standing between the ball and the man. You know, you are allowed to kind of shield it out. You're allowed to use your shoulder and kind of kind of 50-50 the guy out of there if you're, if you're alongside him as well. But, you know, in that case, I think when Aurelian Collin falls down and he's losing his footing and he's going to ground, I mean, you can make the case that he doesn't, he doesn't have an established position, right? You know, he's not between man and ball. So I, I think at the end of the day, the ball is probably going out of bounds anyway, and the attacker probably wasn't getting there. But I could see that being a penalty. I mean, I could see that being a penalty for sure. Um, I think it was crazy that they got they had a couple of VAR calls go their way uh, during that game. You know, in the Columbus game as well, I wrote this down, uh, Harris Madunian, and there was a 2v2 there uh, that turned into a 3v2, um, and they blew it when he just overcooked a pass uh, with Jamiro Montero running down on his left. 
And, um, you know, I think on the broadcast, I, I could be wrong, but I think they were talking about playing it to the right, just playing it forward to Shabilka, who was coming down on his right. Um, Harris Madunian made the the correct read there to wait and to play it to his left instead. Because what the deal is basically when you're a – I mean, if I'm a defender and I'm tracking backwards in a counterattack and I got a 2v2, um, the, the thing that I don't want to defend is I don't want to de- – I want to defend the short side of the field. You know, I want to defend the most narrow side there because I can angle it off better. If I have a guy coming at me and he's got an option on his right and his left, now I have to hold back because I don't know which way he's going. And on the left side there, that happened to be the strong side of the field where there's a lot more space over there. So if Madunian comes down, he's running that counterattack, and he plays the ball into the right channel for Shabilka. Where is Shabilka going then? He has to come back left. There's no other place to go. You know, he's Madunian, if he plays that obvious pass, that first pass to the right, he's narrowing the field, and he's not really giving Shabilko options to kind of play it back to him. Unless Shabilko can kind of clip the ball back and get it past that second defender and find Montero again. But I thought Harris made the right, um, the right play there to kind of wait up and wait for Montero to get in and kind of cl- clip that ball in for him. You know, and if he hits it with his with his you know, with his weak foot, if he hits it correctly, if he hits it properly, you know, he's in on goal. Uh, Montero's in on goal. So I didn't think, um, I didn't think he played that wrong at all. I thought that was a good read by him. Uh, That just looked like one of those things where he was on his third game in eight days and he was pretty tired and he's not really the guy that's, that's leading counterattacks or turn, turning guys over necessarily either, you know? So, um, let's see, did I have any other notes? No, I think that's all I wrote down. Uh, so let's see what kind of questions you got. Uh, for me today. Uh, Big Mac Delaware says, uh, Andrew Vooten, ready to call him an unneeded piece. I mean, maybe this year, yeah, for sure. But no, I mean, I think, you know, you've got eyes on next year for sure. Um, it, it's it's one of those things with Vooten where, I, you know, we talked about it when he was signed um, on a podcast, you know, a couple months ago, where it's looked at, is his skill set just redundant? With Casper Shabilko, you know, is there overlap there? Are they both bigger target forward kind of guys who are used to playing as as lone strikers? And yes, that ended up being the case. But I give him, I give Jim Curtin credit for trying to put them in the four four two and giving it a shot. You know, your new signing and your guy in Shabilko that you can't justify taking off the field. Um, you know, and what what is Casper Shabilko if they don't sign Vooten in the first place and light a fire under his ass and get him going? I mean, the reason they signed him in the first place is because they weren't really satisfied with what they had in the stri- in the striker department. So, no, it wasn't unneeded. I mean, you'd you'd love to see him out there and wish he was doing a little bit more, but it's just kind of a product of circumstance with that. You know, next year, if Shabilko wants to go back to Europe or whatever, they want to play a different formation or where uh, Vooten has a different role, then then for sure, you know, um, I think they're kind of looking ahead to next year with that. Uh, EJ says, is rooting for the Yankees for a few weeks a violation? No, it's not. It, it's uh, it's kind of crazy to think, you know, because they're like the evil empire up there. But, you know, it's a, it's a means to an end with the Yankees where you're just hoping for, I think, as much uh, turmoil as you can so that you have to force NYC to play in city field and just kind of embarrass MLS a little bit and just say, look, this whole thing is farcical. It's a, it's a charade, you know? Um, so no, if, if that's what it takes, uh, then I'd say go Yankees. I'm the biggest Aaron judge fan there is out there. Always have been. Uh, Mike Anderson says MLS player. You'd like to see shirtless. Now that we've all seen Wando's nips. Yeah, what was what was with the gratuitous shots of Wandalowski in the crowd the other night? That just got old pretty quickly, didn't it? Um how about Steven Lenhart? 
Uh, I'll give you a Quata McBlanco. Any of the bigger and fatter kind of guys, I think that would be pretty uh, pretty interesting to see there. Pretzel Life says, how many minutes after the home playoff loss does Sugar Daddy's helicopter take off? Uh, that's a Negadelphia take. It's really Negadelphia. But, uh, well, I mean, looking forward, it's going to be an interesting offseason, you know, depending on how the union wrap up. I mean, then it'll be on kind of Sugarman to kind of take it to the next level there, depending on what kind of success they have. You know, it's like we were talking about with John last week or the week before. Um, hey, man, you got you got a lot of good pieces in place. You got a good coach. You got a good technical director. The academy's cooking now. Uh, a sporting director, I'm sorry. Well, and Chris Albright is the technical director, yeah. Um, so, you know, the next the next piece comes from top. Is Jay Sugarman willing to match uh, in the financial department to complement the good things that they've been doing underneath him? Yeah, we shall see. Uh, Eric says, Jack Mack, Rosenberry trustee, Aronson, uh, the call-up seems the same. Aronson's call-up seems the same, but slightly different since the others were in January camp, right? Uh, correct. Yeah, those are all January camp end-of-season calls. Uh, it's a good experience for him. Anyway, I hope Fabian starts this week uh, and in the playoffs, and this is what they brought him in for. Agree. Yeah, I, mean, I agree. I agree. I mean, if not now, when? Because it sounds like he's not going to be back next year anyway. So, you know, if Bedoy is out, um, you could play four, two, three, one with Fabian at the 10. You could bring Jamiro Montero back to the eight, play Madunian in as the six. Uh, you know, if you're going to do it in a four, four, two, you could play Fabian at the tip. You could have uh, tip of the diamond. You could have Aronson and, um, Montero as the box to box guys. And then you could have Madunian in as the six. I'm just not, I don't really see uh, if you're, t- if you're asking me, you know, the difference between putting Warren Carvalho in there versus like Aronson, any combination of Aronson, Montero, and uh, Marco Fabian, I'm going with the latter, you know. Uh, Iron Shirt Bear says, thoughts on Dest, Serginio Dest. If the dude isn't sure if he wants to play for us, do we care anymore? Well, yeah, I mean, you should always care, you know, because these are like, you know, we've had this problem this problem with the dual nationals too with a lot of the, uh, the Mexican-American kids as well, you know, where it's like... Uh, you got to show that you're invested and that you're in it for them. You want what's best for them. You know, it's not like, this is not like basketball recruiting where it's your Manny Diaz and you're like, well, if you don't pick Miami, you're dead to us, you know? Um, but I mean, I think people got to take a step back here and realize like Dest was born in, or, uh, you know, grew up in the Netherlands. He speaks Dutch. Uh, he's in the Ajax system. Like, of, of course he's got a Dutch connection, you know, <laughs> like, of course, uh, if he has a chance to play for that national team, he's probably going to want to play for that national team. Like you got to put, you got to put yourself in that kind of situation. You know, if if I went to, uh, you know, if I grew up in Gilbertsville and I went to New Hanover Elementary School and then I went to Boyertown Junior High East and then I went to Boyertown Senior High School, like, but I had a connection to the Czech Republic. Like, what the fuck do I really know about Prague? You know, other than that, the Flyers are playing there tomorrow. So I, I don't, it's, it's crazy. I mean, yes, he has the American connection. I get it. But like, he, he is like a, a Dutch guy. Like that is what he is first and foremost. So for people to sit here and say, I see some of the takes where it's like, well, if Ernie can't get this guy to sign up, then what the hell is he there for? Like, I think that's a little, that's a little naive to say. Yeah. Uh, Mike says, what is the, uh, which playoff team is the best matchup for the union? Um, I mean, I think it's DC. I think you'd probably rather play DC at home. Um, you know, we can, actually, we can go through the, the scenarios right now and kind of, kind of finish it. If we, um, to kind of finish the exercise that we started with Matt, 
so like I said, DC gets uh, Cincinnati at home. So if they if they win, they finish on fifty two and they finish fourth, right? So so DC right now going into the final weekend, they're on forty nine. New York's on forty eight. Toronto's on forty seven, right? So if DC wins and they beat Cincinnati at home, uh, they are locked into the fourth seed, right? New York has to go to Montreal, and uh, Toronto gets. Uh, Columbus at home as well. So New York's the only team that has to go on the road. So let, so let's say United wins and Toronto wins, but New York loses. Then it goes DC four, Toronto five, Red Bull six. So that's interesting. You know, I mean, if you like people, if you like those teams' chances at home, um, and the Union end up in third, you could be looking at Red Bull as a three six. Um, you know, if all three of those teams tie, it's the same thing. I, I mean, in order for the Union to play DC. Um, Red Bull would have to tie or win. Toronto would have to win and DC would have to lose. So, you know, the scenarios there's, there's more of a scenario for the union to get New York or Toronto. Um, but DC is still in play. Um, so I think that's interesting. I think they're going to end up with Toronto. My gut tells me, but I think you would have to say, um, DC is probably the most favorable matchup. Um, Jared says, what's a realistic expectation for the end of the season based on current and projected standings? Uh, first round win, second round exit, or do you see them going further? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to see them going down there and beating Atlanta in Atlanta. Um, I, I think the way that I see it playing out is this. I think the Union win on Sunday. I think Atlanta also wins on Sunday. And so we get a tie-break scenario where even though they have the same amount of points, Atlanta has one more win. So then Atlanta's the two-seed, Union are the three-seed. I think the Union beat whoever whoever they play in the first round. The place is going to be amped. The Union have been good at home this year. They've been better than D.C., they've been better than Toronto, and they've been better than Red Bull. So I don't think you go into that with any kind of fear. So I think they beat them. I think Atlanta wins. The Union go down to Atlanta and they play them tough, play them like a 1-1 game, maybe a 2-2 game or something like that. Maybe even goes into extra time, goes into penalties. Um, but I could see the Union winning a home playoff game and then, and then losing in tough fashion to Atlanta. I mean, that's kind of what my gut's telling me. Third place, win your first playoff game, win uh, host your ho- first home playoff game since 2011, and then maybe bow out in the second round. But... I could see them. I could see them beating Atlanta down there for sure. I just, I don't. I, my gut's telling me that it's third place in the second round exit. So, um, fear and loathing in Chester, PA. How excited should Union fans be for a potential Concacaf Champions League berth? I mean, really excited. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Philadelphia Union in the Champions League. How ridiculous would it have would it have been to say that just two years ago? You know, <laughs> it's like. The Union are one of, like, how many few teams that hasn't played a Mexican team in a meaningful competition ever, you know? So, And even then, they're going to get into the Nations League or whatever the, the hell the thing's called, right, which is less exciting. But there's gonna they're going to play a Mexican – they're going to play a Mexican team um, or, I'm sorry, or a CONCACAF team at home at some point next year, no matter what. So, um, But, yeah, I mean, it just – I think the bummer, though, is that, you know, those games are so early in the year. I mean, what, we're looking at, like, February? Uh hosting like a like a Saprisa or a Herediano or a Tigress or something like that, but that'd be awesome, wouldn't it? You know, Philadelphia Union versus Guadalajara or hosting um, Santos Laguna, Monterey, Club America, Cruz Azul, something like that. I think that'd be fantastic, you know? 
Uh, Paul Costa says, is, is Curtin a bona fide contender for MLS Coach of the Year? Yeah, but they're probably going to get, I mean, well, they're probably going to give it to Bradley, right? But then you make the argument, well, he's got so much talent, it's not him, it's the talent. Then you would say Almeida's kind of fallen off a little bit because San Jose's fallen off, so I don't think he has the edge. I mean, Adrian Heath has had a hell of a year in Minnesota. I mean, you give it to, do you give him the nod over Curtin this year? Uh, I don't know. I mean, if Bradley is one and you're looking at these other guys, I don't I don't think it's a clear-cut two or a three. I think you have like a like a 2A or a 2B or something like that. I mean, we'll see what happens in uh, on decision day, you know. Um, James says, when the union win the cup, who or what will be the first complaint complain- <laughs> complainer? That's a good question. Uh, <clears throat> what will people complain about if they win the uh, MLS cup? Um, I mean, it'll probably be like, that, that nobody cares that the that the inquirer put uh MLS cup on like D D five or something like that. You know, I think that'll probably be the complaint like uh you know your typical media thing. Um John says John Chrisafi says the best way of beating the union seems to be sitting back and countering the rest of the Eastern Conference playoff teams. Or, or sitting back and countering. The rest of the Eastern Conference playoff teams seem to have a good counterattack to deploy. Uh, is there any way that you look to defend that? Uh, and break any bunker set up in Talon Energy Stadium. Well, they did sit back against Atlanta, you know, and they turned them over. They waited for them to kind of uh, come up the field. They cut off the wing backs in the buildup, and they tried to they tried to press them on those narrow passes. I mean, for sure they could do that. I don't think that that's. I mean, I think that was a very specific game plan for a specific opponent who was better than you at the time, or who was who was your equal. I don't, I don't know what it says if you're going to sit there and let Red Bull come in and dictate possession, or let Toronto dictate possession, or something like that. I mean, I think you have to go and play your game at home. Um, you know, for the Union, that's always been their weakness. I mean, who said that from the beginning? I think it was there was some irony to the fact that you know the goal that Columbus scored that ultimately knocked them out of being able to win first place in the Eastern Conference this year was a transitional goal. You know, it was a counterattacking goal where Harris Madunian got caught too far up the field um, Warren Carval- with Warren Carval for whatever reason also up the field. So, I mean, I think you just have to be mindful of that. There's no real strategy to it. It's just, look, I mean, if Madunian is going to sit up there and he's going to play point guard, know that if you get caught that he doesn't have the speed or the, the transitional capabilities to get back. So whoever plays with him in the playoffs, Bedoya will be back there this Sunday if it's Aronson and Montero. Depending on what formation they play, you always just got to be mindful of that. And the center back's got to be yelling too. That's a center back thing. You, know, you got to say, I don't have anybody back here. Like hold, hold, hold. You got to come back and cover for him. So, But I wouldn't sit back and let a team come at you. I would just play the. I would play your home game, strangle them in possession, wear them down, press them, turn them over. I don't want to see another – Peter Novak 2011 situation where they have Stefani Miglioranzi coming out playing sweeper. You know what I mean? Uh, Pat says, long-term, how do you expect the union to resolve the wagner Real log jam at left back? Uh, I mean, I don't think they do anything right now, right? I mean, if Kai Wagner comes back next year, maybe once they go back to Germany, then you let Matt Real come back in. But uh, I think they're fine next year, at least, doing what they did this year. Um, Jason says, who would you rather face at home, Toronto or New England? Uh, the Union have not beat Toronto at home since 2014, yeah. while New England haven't won in Chester <laughs> since 2015. But both teams are streaking. I'm I'm not afraid. <clears throat> I'm not afraid of the New England Revolution one bit. I mean, I don't care. It's nice that Bruce Arena hasn't playing well or whatever. But if anybody's sitting here afraid of like a two-seven game with the New England Revolution, then you can get the hell out of town. 
Diaz says, what's the depth behind Bedoya? Is it Creval and Fontana? Uh, it would be exciting to see a Fontana, Fontana, Aronson, McKenzie, and Trusty lineup. Well, Trusty ain't going to be in there. I mean, I think he's kind of done um, for the year. I mean, unless there's an injury or something like that. Fontana, I would not put in over Fab- Fabian at this point. Um, Mark McKenzie's been playing well. Depth behind Bedoya. I mean, I guess it's, you know, to me, I would just slide Montero back and play Montero. I mean, if I had to pick this weekend, I'm playing... 4-4-2 with Vooten and Shabilko up top. Fabian, Aronson, Madunian, Montero, and then your typical back line that you've had. And then you switch to 4-2-3-1 in the second half. Bring Pico off the bench. Bring Yosinio off the bench. Kind of do it that way. I think that's what I would do. Um, Adam Maroff says, can you shed some light on the possible move from Yankee Stadium to City Field during the playoffs for New York? Is that a complete middle finger to everyone that complains about their shit stadium, or is it really the best they can come up with? No, I mean, it's the best they can come up with, and it doesn't it doesn't move them up to, like, Connecticut or, like, Rentschler or Red Bull Arena or something like that. City Field, I mean, whatever. It's, it's, not, it's not ideal, but it's a contingency plan, so... Um, they have all the scenarios written out. I think they put it up on MLS Soccer a couple of days ago or something. I don't have it in front of me, but they they had like a, a chart that says if this happens, then we're playing here. If this happens, then we're playing here, and, and so forth, so on and so forth. So, um, that's about it. And so we got all right. So it was episode ninety three. I want to say ninety two, ninety three. Uh, shout out to Matt for coming in, and uh, hope you guys enjoyed that. Just wanted to get some questions in. No, uh, <clears throat> no real uh, goofy stuff otherwise, other than the you know, the words that end in A or whatever. So um, until then, we will see you next week, and we will see where the Philadelphia Union are going to be seated in the playoffs and who they're going to be playing at home. But you got the Philadelphia Union with the home playoff game already secured. How about that? This ain't your grandmother's Philadelphia Union. Playoffs?